Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to episode 129. Today we are talking um, about how to slow down. I think. Um, And that might seem like a weird topic because we just went through a year and are still in a year, longer than a year, where we have been slowed down very much. But I think that there's a lot to learn from that. And so today we're going to talk through a little bit about what it means to grow slow. We have a wonderful guest, Jennifer Dukes-Lee, who has a new book um, coming out called Growing Slow. And she um, talks about her journey to becoming a farmer's wife um, from like a fast-paced kind of city lifestyle. And how that has influenced her faith in great ways. And so we're going to just sort of talk through that. I planted a garden, um, you know, so we're just, we're like experts on slowing down over here. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm so good at it. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, you know, at the top of the list of my good character traits is slowing down. So it's definitely, um, well, it's funny you say character traits because I feel like it, it's looked down upon. Don't you think? Like when people are slow, it's like, hurry up, like, I mean, even I, I try not to do this, but at the dinner table, one of my kids is like a real, like a painfully slow eater where you're just like, oh my, like she chews every bite 25 times. And like, she would sit there for three hours if you let her. And it's just funny. Cause it's like, I never want to tell her to hurry up because it's awful to eat fast. You know, like it's not awful, but like, it's bad for your digestion yeah. and like all, all the things, but I'm also like, okay, you got to like a little bit go faster. Like just, just a, yeah. just a hair, you know? There's a fine line. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Rebecca, no, where do you yeah. practice growing slow? I think for me, it's, I've learned it the most um, in my career or my lack thereof. Um, and so, my personality has always been such that like, it's like go big or go home. And I think I talked about this a little bit in our interview with Jennifer, but it's just a lot. um, It's just a big part of who I am of when I do something and I take something on, like if I, if it doesn't get big quick or eventually, even eventually, um, then I, I equate that to failure. And so I've had to learn a lot um, about how, um, things can be successful and still grow slowly and things can be a success and not be huge, um, Mm. which is an ever going process for me of learning, um, what that means. Um, because I still struggle with, if it's not big, it's not good. Um, and, but that's not how God is. Um, God's kingdom is very much an upside down kingdom. And, um, and, you know, less is more, weak is strong, um, the first shall be last, all of those things. Like Jesus is all, his kingdom is all about the opposite of the way the world thinks. Um, and so I, it's always been an internal battle for me of knowing that's the case and also thinking that I have to be this huge success to be worthy. And so mm-hmm. God has just been teaching me a lot about how, um, ministry and the things that I do don't have to be big to make a difference. And so he said to me, I'm still learning. Um, it's been a long process of, um, of learning how to be faithful 
in the small things um, and, and seeing that that if if things are small and growing slowly and plugging along, that doesn't mean God's not in it. And that doesn't mean I'm a failure. I think a lot of times it means God's more in it. Yeah. You know, I mean, not to say that like if something happens quickly for you, that that's not God, because he definitely works that way too. But like, yeah, I've just found personally over the years that most of the time things are really slow with him, you know, and I have mm-hmm. had things that happen quickly, like getting pregnant with twins or like just different things. Where I'm like, wow, you were like, really, that was going to yeah. happen, Lord. But then, I mean, a lot of, most of like the, the personal heart work in me has been slow. Like I've never woken yeah. up and like been over a problem, you know, and like, yeah. or like, I don't know, like just personal issues we deal with and sins we struggle with, like that progress is always really slow for me. Um, but it, it also like when it happens, it's real. And I think that's kind of like, yeah, I think that when, when things are fast, I mean, it's just like with eating, like with my kids, it's like my daughter who eats quicker is always like, I'm still hungry. I'm like, I promise you're not like, you have to wait Mm -hmm. like 20 minutes because you're like, literally your body doesn't know that you just ate something and you ate so fast. And then if she'll wait 20 minutes, she's like, you're right. Like, and I'm like, you know, that's just, that's how our bodies are. That's how like nature is, you know? So, but it's, it's so hard because I think, you know, you said success. And I think that really is what we have to fight against is a worldly definition of what it means to be successful. And even like, how do we personally define what success is? Cause I think, I mean, what do you, like, what do you consider success to be? what should I consider it to be or what no, do what, I consider what do it to you be? actually consider it to be a good question I, I think I'll go first so you can think okay okay I think for me I think success is affirmation validation and um a lot of like pats on the back I think mm-hmm. it's um having tangible things to show like look what I yeah. did you know yeah. um having people say I'm good is success mm-hmm. like and I so it's never been like around a specific thing. I my my desire, my like roots for creativity or things I want to be successful have changed, you know. But it's always like yeah. at the core of it, it's always like my motivation is usually for someone to be like, "Wow, you did such a good job!" Or like, "Wow, you're so talented!" Or "Look at you!" And like, um, when really, I mean, the the truest success that really like registers in my heart is just the success of the fruits of the spirit, honestly. And that sounds like a platitude, but it's true. It's like when I feel joy in my day-to-day life and it's unaffected by circumstance or, you know, anything else or whether my painting I just did sucks and I'm looking at a painting I did that sucks um, as we're recording <laughs> this, but like it, that's success to me because that's like, I'm at peace and to, to feel six. I mean, I think like all the other success we feel, or I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for me, success all comes back to peace. Do you feel Mm. peace with yourself? Do you feel peace with your life? Like, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? And like, for me, I've learned that like that satisfaction really has very little to do with my accomplishments, but I think we're taught that success is your accomplishments. 
so that's what I would definitely say that for me. I'm an extremely competitive person. Um, I say this all the time, but I totally, in my innermost being, if I don't check myself, believe with Ricky Bobby that if you're not first, you're last. And so, <laughs> so um, that is definitely um, who I am to the core. And so I struggle when whatever I do is not the first. So whether oh, yeah, it's, yeah. Whether it's um, my writing, whether it's this podcast, whether it's my children, um, whether it's my marriage, whatever it is, like my friendships, like whatever, like success to me is that it's the top. Like if I've, if I, if I've been the best comparatively, whatever that looks like, that's a nebulous concept, but, but like if I'm at the top of my game, then I've reached success. That is yeah. obviously not God's view of what success is. I think God's view of success is definitely what you said. Um, it's the fruit that's being the fruit that's that comes out of what we're doing. And if the fruit of what we're doing looks like the fruit of the spirit, then it's that's success. Um, mm-hmm. If if um, the people around us um, see Jesus through us and feel cared for um, the way Jesus wants us to care for people, that's success. But like that's not who I am in my nature. And so mm-hmm. I have, I've had to, I've had to teach myself that. And I, still I think very that. few of us are like that in our nature. Yes. yes. Um, and, and I've had to learn that, that success actually is content in this, which I think is what you're saying about peace. Yeah. Um, but my, but so then it has, it's a deeper heart issue of what makes me feel content. And, yeah. you know, I, I struggle with contentedness, um, should mean that I feel peace and joy. And, um, I feel like <laughs> what's, um, chariots of fire, the movie chariots of fire, um, about the runner, um, the Christian runner. Why am I going blank on his name? Um, Eric little. So he was a Olympic runner. Um, he was also a Christian, um, um, Christian missionary and, um, chariots of fire. If you've ever seen the movie, there's like the, epic scene. Oh my gosh. So good. Um, <laughs> there's a reason why it won the Oscar and whatever year in the seventies it came out. But like, there's this epic scene where Chariots of Fire is playing the song. Chariots of Fire is playing. He's running, and you hear his internal monologue while he's running. And it says, "When I," he says, "When I, the famous his famous quote is, when I run, I feel God's pleasure.'" And so, like, Aww, yeah. that was success to him. Success to him wasn't winning a gold medal. I mean, he uh-huh. did win a gold medal, but there's a whole struggle in his life that gets him to that point, and he realizes that, like, he runs not to win the gold medal, but because he feels God's pleasure when he's doing what he was created to do. And so I, I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true that the things that I do are because God's called me to them and I feel his joy and his pleasure when I do it, not because of the word world's accolades or because I've got 10,000 followers on Instagram or because so-and-so read my piece and it, you know, affected you them. Were good or, yeah. I said I was good or, you know, I get X, Y, and Z job because I hit this, this, and this milestone. But like yeah. when, when things do happen, and I do accomplish things. Do do I feel God's pleasure in those things? And so that to me is kind of a, um, a plumb line, if you will, that I'm trying to, to work out in my own life. Um, but it's, it's a struggle for me for sure. Well, and I think like, I feel like what he's describing and maybe what you're saying is almost like a flow state. It's like that state you get 
too, where you completely forget about yourself. It's like self-forgetfulness where you're just doing the thing you're doing and it's like nothing else. You're not thinking. And I think like finding that, and that's Mm -hmm. so different for people and it can be different things over your life and it can be different. Like, you know, for some people it's exercise, not for me, for some people it's like cooking or, I mean, there's just like a million things it could be. Um, Uh It could even be work. Like if you really enjoy your work or, you know, creating things. But I think like, I felt that when, when I can get, cause it's really hard for me to get to that state too. But when I'm in it, I understand what he's saying. Cause it's like, Oh, like I have forgotten myself. Yeah. And when I forget myself, I can do anything. Cause I'm yeah. no longer like self-objectifying and yeah. observing myself through other lenses. But yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know, Rebecca, like I think everybody's to some level struggles with that. I, I think I think that's our humanity. Like, I don't think, and I don't want to ever sound like I'm saying I don't, because I absolutely, absolutely do in yeah. different ways. But like, um, but I think practicing, even just like choosing to practice doing something slowly is like how we step out of that. Yeah. And doing no, something I, just for the fun of it and not for. So I think part of it's humanity. And we talked about this a little bit in, in the interview with Jennifer, but I think it's humanity. I think it's also um, the culture we live in. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about American culture because obviously American culture is very much pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard. If you work hard, you'll be successful. Like, but also I think it's part of the church culture. So there's this underlying um, sense that in the church that if your church gets to this X number size or your ministry gets to this X number size or you get this many people who listen to you speak or this many followers on Instagram or whatever the, mm-hmm. you know, the number is or whatever, then, then God's using you. Then you're being mm-hmm. used effectively mm-hmm. by God. And, and so that's where we get the rise of like Christian celebrity celebrity. And when, I mean, if you really think about it, not just scripturally, when you look at the life of Jesus and the life of the apostles um, and other people um, in scripture. But when you look at like the people that, that you really know that make the, the biggest difference for Jesus, most of them are just everyday faithful. Like they're just, yeah. they, you know, they, they grow slow and they just, they, you know, one day after another are just living their life for God and, and moving forward at a, a slow pace, but a pace that like, um, resonates with people. And so I think and it's sustainable. Mean, it's sustainable. So that doesn't mean that God doesn't use the, the, the mega churches and God of doesn't course. use these big of speakers. He obviously he does. I mean, he used, obviously used Billy Graham. So I'm not saying that he doesn't use big, but that's not like, if you're looking at statistics, like mm-hmm. statistically, most of the work that God does is through the low and slow. And so um, you know, I think about, this is more of your realm, but I think about the, you know, my, my Italian grandmother, her spaghetti sauce took all day to make, like, mm-hmm. because it was just low and slow all day long, you know, and that was better than the, you know, than the spaghetti sauce. And, and we all have to make quick spaghetti sauce most of the time. Like we can't cook spaghetti sauce all day long, but the, when you do let it go low and slow, it's better, you know, well, like, can like I tell color greens why? or whatever. Yeah, it's because, well, so when you, you said spaghetti sauce, I was thinking of like a piece of meat, but like same kind of concept, like spaghetti sauce. And you know this, I'm just saying it because it's interesting to think of it as a parallel to our spiritual growth, but like, you know, tomatoes are super acidic 
And so first the app, like that's why it tastes bitter. And then people will add sugar. And it's like, yeah. you really shouldn't add sugar because the tomatoes have sugar. You just have to cook them longer. If your sauce exactly. is still acidic, it's just not been cooked long enough. And isn't that like us? Like yes. we're full of acid. We're like yes. fresh and full of crap. And we have to be like slowly, lowly heated over time yes. to become sweet. And so it's like, yes. so many of us try to be like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray this long and I'm going to read this book. And like, we, we try to like add sugar and it's like, you can't add sugar. You have to like surrender to the process of low, slow heat. And like, that's yes. harder. But it's yep. the same thing, like if you have like a pot roast, I mean, we've all made a pot roast and it's like, there's all this like sinew and um, like collagen yep. that needs to be cooked out. And it's just like, it's tough, but if you cook it low and slow, it'll shred apart easily. And it's like brisket, this Texas girl yeah. thinks of brisket, brisket's the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that you're cooking, yeah. lo- like anything. And it's like, and if you try to rush it, what happens? You get dry, it gets dry and gross and like, mm-hmm. it's still like super fatty and it's not pleasant to eat. And so I just think like, there's some, I don't know, there's so many. And then we're talking with Jennifer about the natural world and like, just, I mean, I just planted a garden and like, just the amount of work it took, I was exhausted. I mean, like I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, I have a wheelbarrow and I ordered soil from Home Depot that they delivered to my house. So those are two like really shortcuts. Right. But I still had to haul like 10 or 11 bags, like 40, 50 pound mm-hmm. bags of soil, like across my yard. And that doesn't sound like a lot. Right. But like I was doing no, it, it's a lot, it, but it <laughs> occurred to me, I was like, I don't have to do this. Like I'm choosing to do this because I want to have a garden because I want my kid really it's for my kids because I want them to have to, to see that process I think it would be really good for us all to slow down. I want my kids to know that food doesn't come shrink wrapped in the grocery store, which I kind of know, but I want them to like see it grow. I want to see yeah, it grow. Yeah. But also it's just like, I was thinking about it and how, and we've talked about this before and I won't like go on about it, but how a lot of those like areas where we could have grown slow have been removed from us. Like we don't have to grow our food. We don't even have to go buy our food. And, and like all of, and like we have a machine that washes our clothes and these things are fabulous. We have a machine that washes our dishes. Like our lives have just all of those slow, easy, like things that just were training and kind of got you into a flow state, got you into like we've, they're inconvenient and we've, we've eliminated them for the most part. Mm -hmm. And then when Mm -hmm. things still remain like that, like even cooking dinner, like, I don't know, I'm sure there's other things that you have to do by hand that we haven't had machines yet for, but like, even that we get so frustrated and like, me chief among them. I'm not saying like, I don't get frustrated and I love doing dishes. I don't, but it's just, as I was planning that garden, I realized like, gosh, like this is such a, it's like annoying to me and I wanted to do it, but it's because I literally don't have to do this kind of thing. I'm choosing to. And it's just, it's just interesting. So I say that to say like, we should all have a lot of grace with ourselves because if we do want to grow low and slow, we have to actually seek it out. Like, it's not like, I think in the past people just kind of had, that's how their lives were. And so there was just opportunity all around to like, kind of meditate in ways that we have to like seek out now. And most of us are lazy by nature and we're not going to seek it out. And then we're all just like stressed out all the time. Yeah. No, I think that's a great segue into our interview with Jennifer. Um, Jennifer's a a friend of the show. She's She's, I think we talked about at the beginning of the interview, um, what episode she was on before, but it, it was a while ago. Um, but she's just been a good cheerleader for Woben and we're excited to be a cheerleader for her for another book that's, that's coming out on Growing Slow. But I thought this interview was fantastic. So, yeah, it's um, really good. 
I'm ex- we're super excited to share it with you guys. So we hope you enjoy. And then you come back um, for our last segment where we're just going to give you guys some resources and things we're thinking about as it relates to growing slow and spring and resurrection and all of that. So we'll see you after the interview. Hey, everybody. We're um, so glad to be back and we're glad to have um, one of our favorite interviews that we've done before. We have her back today, interviewees. Um, Her name is Jennifer Dukes-Lee. And if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, she was um, on with us back in episodes 23 and 24. And this is episode, I think, 130. Um, And so, yeah, like um, she was on a while ago and um, which is awesome. And if you aren't a longtime listener and you're new to the show, um, go back and listen to episode 23 and 24. But it was on her book on it called It's All Under Control. We talked about surrender in those two episodes and they were fantastic. So um, yeah, and I've known Jennifer for a while through Hope Writers, which I think we talked about in our last episode. But if you could, Jennifer, will you introduce yourself again to our listeners? Absolutely. It's so fun to be here again. And pardon my voice. I just want to apologize to all of you. I've had a cold. And so there's a little fuzziness in my voice right now. But um, my name is Jennifer, and I am the wife of a fifth generation farmer on the Lee family farm in Iowa. And uh, we have a couple of daughters. Our daughter Lydia is a freshman at Iowa State University. Anna is a sophomore in high school. And I am a longtime writer. I uh, had my first news job when I was 16 years old. And that news career led me to kind of a exciting, fast-paced metro news jobs uh, covering crime and politics and all those kinds of things. And then we moved back to the farm and I'm still a reporter, but I cover only the good news as in the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I've been (laughs) blogging and writing books for quite a while now and Bible studies and really loving life here on the farm. I'm an accidental farm girl, really, quite honestly, Um, didn't expect to be here, but it's, it's a great life. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're so glad to have you back. Um, I I really enjoy just personally, not just on behalf of Woven, but I I, I enjoy um, your posts and your newsletters and your writing. Um, they've um, met a lot to me. So can you go in, can you go in a little bit more about this story of you becoming an accidental farm go- girl? <laughs> um, just for everybody, um, so you know, um, Jennifer Dixley. We'll talk about this um, more later. But Jennifer's coming out with a new book in May called Growing Slow. And that's where this conversation is coming from. But the the subtitle of the book for Growing Slow is Lessons on Unhurrying Your Heart from an Accidental Farm Girl. So do you, can you give us a little bit of background about what you mean by you're accidentally a farm girl? Yeah. So I grew up in a small town and um, definitely not on a farm, but there were silos in my skyline. And the last <laughs> place I would ever want to have come back to was either a small town or a farm. I was destined for the city, and that's where I found myself in my 20s, and I was so excited about that pace of life. And a lot of things happened uh, for my husband and I. Um, He was also in that same fast-paced life. He went to law school. Uh, We ran in two different directions and met up at 9 o'clock every night for dinner. It was just kind of a crazy life. But we decided we needed something a little more, uh, you know, a little more sane. And so we came back to the farm and it was just crazy because honestly, 
this was the last place I would have picked for myself. This was the last kind of life that I would have selected if I was God and in charge, but I wasn't in charge and I am not God. And so here I am on this farm um, and I am learning so much about being a farm wife, like raising pigs and 700 acres of corn and soybeans and what aphids can do to plants and what happens to the roots of corn and, and soybeans during times of drought and just all of these things. And it's really exciting, but it's um, really surprising. And so that's what it means to be an accidental farm girl. But living here has taught me so much about my hurried ways, not only mm. when I lived in the city, but honestly, while I've been living here, because that hurry didn't go away just because I moved out of the city and moved on to the farm. So, but it's, it just opened up a great metaphor for me, this farming life of what it means to unhurry my heart. I was thinking about it um, and just thinking about um, scripture and the whole of Bible, of uh, the Bible in general, just how much of agrarian life is in scripture. And um, so much of how God teaches his people is through the harvests, And um, so much of the festivals that point us back to, or pointed the Jewish people back to who they were was through the harvest schedule. And then Jesus, uh, so many of his parables were on farming. And um, many of us, so I grew up, I, we have very similar stories, um, except for I haven't gone back. Uh, but um, I grew up in a small town around farming. Um, you know, my family, my, my mom was a nurse, but we weren't farmers, but everybody around me was farmers. And so um, I, I understand it, but I also always felt the draw of the city and I've, I've stayed um, a city girl much to my family's chagrin and they make fun of me for it. But um, <laughs> about, you know, being a city girl and not remembering my roots and all that kind of stuff, which by the way, we say roots differently than you do here in the South. <laughs> I know, as soon as I roots? said it, I say roots and I get... Roots. Oh, I am a roots girl, like soot. Oh. And most people say root, like boot. Yes. yes. And I get, I get teased about it so much. So in fact, in the audiobook version of It's All Under Control, I had to write a little clip before I even started the audiobook saying, look, listeners, I, <laughs> I was going to try to change this and say root for you, but I can't do it. I just have to own it because this is how we say it in Iowa, that we're going to throw down some deep roots to hold us strong <laughs> in the storms of life. And I mean, it's, you know, it's just one of those kind of regional things, I guess. I it thought is. everybody it's, said root. <laughs> it's so funny. I have one of my best friends is from Iowa. And so she, she says roots too. Um, so I'm, I'm used to it. And it's funny because I grew up in Texas, but my family's all from New York. And so I would say things the way my parents said it, of course, because I'm their child. And um, I had to, to change my ways a lot um, now that I've lived almost my entire life in the South. So, but I just thought that was funny how we have different ways of saying things. But um, so I had, a, I had a reason I was going that direction. Oh, so I, I have kind of a similar um, a way, story behind it. Um, so I really enjoyed the um, agrarian um the, the idea the whole all of scripture has this agrarian theme to it and I think many of us don't understand that because we're um we're we're not we just weren't raised that way we weren't raised I mean there are, are there are some of our listeners that probably were raised on a farm but most people aren't I mean if you look at the numbers the demographics in the United States of America like the amount of people that live in a rural community or who live on a farm has dropped dramatically and so um I guess my question is, as you started putting together 
real, your realization of um, your, your hurried lifestyle and being an accidental farm girl and all of these parts of who you are, how has the message of growing slow kind of changed the way you live your life from when um, you were, from how you used to be, how it used to be, how is it different now? Right. And so the how I used to be part wasn't just when I was in the city, because I think that some people might think, well, good for you, Jennifer, you moved to the farm and you found a nice, quieter, slower way. But it didn't work like that. My life looks a little bit like something off the Hallmark Channel on the outside um, with these wide open skies and wide open spaces and neighbors who know each other by their first names and doors that we leave unlocked and all those kinds of things. But the truth is that we struggle with the same things that caused hurried hearts, whether you live in Manhattan or Montreal or Marathon, Iowa, which is the little town where I grew up. And that is this feeling that we're always behind, not just behind in what's on our calendar, but that we're behind in what's in our lives. Like a lot of us are saying to ourselves, I should be further along by now. And that can be a, um, the source of a lot of angst and a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And it, it results in what I call a hurried heart. So it really mm-hmm. has less to do with locale and more to do with the state of our souls. And um, I was in stress and fast-paced living, um, even living in a growing slow place, place yeah. where you know the traffic jams are mostly like caused by cattle that got out through a bad fence or something. <laughs> And because here I wanted to, you know, make sure I was doing the right things as a mom and are my kids on track and am I making enough progress in my marriage and am I growing enough spiritually and how about my work, my work life as an author and an editor, am I doing all the right things? And so I found myself waking up every morning with an immediate sense of being behind Mm-hmm. and um, that that time was was an enemy, and um, it created this hurried heart, which is an actual trauma on a person's body. So what happens is when you wake up and you already feel sort of under attack by time, you have hormones that are kicked out, like adrenaline and cortisol that creates a fight or flight reaction. And when you're constantly in that state, it's always turned on. Mm-hmm. There's not any moment for those the, for all of that just to sort of settle down. And so you end up with real physical and mind trauma, um, anxiety, depression. Uh, for me, digestive problems were a big issue. Headaches, uh, sleep problems, weight gain, memory, concentration, just all of those sorts of things. And I went, I went to a doctor. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Can you like take a bunch of tests and figure this out and give me the pill that fixes all this? He says, well, actually, you know, all of your tests are coming back clear. And we spent a lot of money trying to figure out what was wrong. And he basically diagnosed me with a hurried heart and it kind of made me mad. I was pretty ticked because I'm like, I know stressed out people and I'm not one of them. Am I? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I've even been, you guys, if you go back and listen to 23 and 24 of It's All Under Control on this podcast, I probably talked about some of these things. And it had a lot to do with the calendar and how to say no to some things and how to surrender the stuff that you're worried about to God. But this wasn't something that could be fixed by whiting out my calendar or saying no to a bunch of things. It was how I felt about the progress Mm -hmm. in my life on the inside. And that was creating the hurried heart. And what do you think yeah. was driving that need in you 
like, did you feel like you weren't doing enough? Was it a desire for perfection? Like what was driving that in you? I think there is in our culture, a set of milestones. And I had, I have no idea who set these milestones, (laughs) but I've tried to follow and live up to them ever since I've been little. So it's not just one thing, but a series of things, a feeling like I have to hit the next milestone. So for instance, a teenager will feel like I should know by now where I'm going to go to college and what I'm going to do with my life, even though we all know for those of us who've gotten to college, that we probably will change our majors and change our, our job and career paths multiple times. And then when you get to college, I know I know college kids who are like, I got to find my spouse now, you know, before all the quote, good ones are taken. And then if you do get married, I need to have a child by a certain stage. And then I need to have another one by this stage. And I should be at this place in my career. And so we're constantly in a hurry to grow good things in our lives and realize um, that we, we, that's when we find ourselves in a hurry. And so for me, it was always about hitting the next milestone, thinking I've got to have reached this and then looking around and seeing everybody hitting those marks and feeling like everybody else is killing it in every single area. And you're just like sitting on the pantry floor with a, you know, your drawstring pants and a a box of, uh, Oreos or a container of Oreos or something and just like, <laughs> what's wrong with me? Why am I the only person not, not getting this figured out? So yeah, yeah, that's kind of where, that's where it was for me. Just having to feel like I had to hit those milestones. Yeah. So, um, I really like, so let's talk a little bit more about that. Like what you would say, cause I I'm asking for myself cause I, I struggle with this. This is a struggle I have, of um, feeling that I'm always behind. Like I, I should, when I was, because I'm a very achievement oriented person as well, I think you and I are very similar, but I, I growing up, you know, I, I envisioned my life to be a certain way, right? Which we all know is just completely crazy, but we all do it. Like not all of us, but most of a lot of us do it. And we, we think that our life, we're supposed to hit these milestones like you were talking about. And I should be, you know, I'm in my forties now, so I should be at the peak of my career. And currently I have no idea what my career is. Right. And so, and so it's this constant feeling of like, I'm not living up to my potential and I haven't hit these milestones and I'm not doing the best that I can do. And God created me with the blah, blah, blah gifts. And I'm not using them and all these things. I think we all have these like conversations with ourselves. Um, so what would you say to someone like me? also hopefully is listening, um, who fill, fills those shoulds. I should have already hit that milestone. I, I should be, I'm so far away. I should be at X spot. Like what we, what would you say to someone who feels the way we feel like this? Well, I would, first of all, say there really are no milestones for any of these things. Um, because if, if that were the case, then I would have had a, a, a goal at age 23 that says that by the time I'm 40, I will have published my first book. When that didn't, I hadn't even entertained the thought of ever being a published author. I was going to be a news reporter for the rest of my life. And so in a career sense, that's for sure one way that we feel that. We think that there's some milestone or some mark that we have to hit by some age. When I think we would all do well just to hit pause on our lives and look around and give ourselves permission to see the beautiful things that God is already growing in our lives. And also to recognize the fact that the very best things that we are growing, the very best things that we already have grown, took the longest to grow. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that we're in a hurry is because we want to see instant results. Yeah. We're in a world of instant, like instant banking, fast food, 
Like here's a quick fix way to get to reach your weight goals. And those don't typically work. None of that actually works. Like those fast weight loss or exercise plans because they're not sustainable. Again, the best things that are grown in life, the most important things take time to grow. So that's why, you know, we look at the lives of our children and we don't, we can't really measure like what quote success is with our children until years down the road. We don't see the fruit of marriages until years down the road. The last thing to grow on a tree, on a fruit tree, is the fruit. Mm-hmm. So you have to b- spend a lot of time putting down deep roots, deep mm-hmm. roots, deep roots, whatever they are. <laughs> you got to put them down to hold that thing strong in times of trial. And that's when you will see the growth. I see it a lot in my work as an acquisitions editor. I do that part-time as well, where I acquire books for a company called Bethany House Publishers. And people are so eager to get published right now and think, if I don't get published when I'm, you know, by the time I'm 35 or whatever milestone they've set, that they're not going to get published. But that's just not true. As an acquisitions editor, I'm actually looking for people who've been at it a while and who have grown slowly, not somebody who just went viral once. There, there's just not a deep rootedness to that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you, sorry, I just had a quick question. Yeah. You said the word potential. And I want to go back to that because I think a lot of us feel this pressure of like our potential. Am I living up to my potential? Like, am I being the most? Because like the thing is, I could, I can't live up to my potential as a mom, a chef, a wife, a podcaster, a painter, like I have to pick one. And sometimes, and I know I'm not alone in this, but sometimes I feel that pressure of like, I'm not living up to my potential, even though I'm doing things that matter all day, but there feels like this pressure in our culture in America right now. That's like, you, you have a talent, you have to like get in there and like do something with it. Can you speak to that a little? Yeah. So it's interesting because who decides what potential is? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I have yeah. potential to be uh, right to crank out a book every six months. Mm-hmm. I have the ability and the skill to do it. But what is the cost of reaching yeah. my quote potential? And so mm-hmm. I think that we are all made for great things and good things. But it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and this is a theme verse for me throughout Growing Slow, that God is making everything beautiful in its time. And so potential takes into account that we're on God's timetable and his time frames. And potential it can be achieved at age 30 or age 50 or age 70. But that doesn't discount all the other things that you've been growing all across the timeline of your life that maybe you never intended or didn't even know that you had the potential to do. I thought I'd be a horrible mother, for instance. My potential as a mom, like D plus. But it turns out that as I look back on my life so far, the area where I've seen the most fruit and the most joy and honestly, the most heartache, the hardest Mm -hmm. parts of my life have been as a mother. But yet that's the area where I would have never said, I've got great potential as a mom. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that potential is, it can be really misused and it can guide, can misguide us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was been thinking about this growing quickly um, thing mentality because I struggle with that. Um, I'm I've, I'm very much a go big or go home kind of personality. Um, and so, and I've been, as I've gotten older and matured, I'm starting to learn that that's not the best way to live your life. But um, that's my, my gut instinct is to be like, oh, if this doesn't like, if this thing that I've put my time and effort into doesn't like get big fast, then it, then maybe it was the wrong path or maybe it isn't what I should be doing, or maybe I made the right, wrong decision, or maybe I'm doing it wrong or whatever. Like that's my first instinct is to become more self-aware and I'm starting to notice that. And I was thinking about it. Like we, um, we have these beautiful cherry trees in our backyard and they've been like the highlight of my backyard since we moved into our house 13 years ago. And I, we heartbreakingly had to have one taken down um, this spring because it's just, you know, they, they only live about 25, 30 years and that's about how old our house is and it, it died. So it had to be taken down and it was heartbreaking to have it taken down. And, but I've always wanted dogwood. We live it. We live in the South. I love dogwoods. I'm like, I want a dogwood. So we decided to plant a dogwood this week and we planted a teenage dogwood, maybe, it may be like teenage. Um, probably not quite, but it's not a baby tree, but it's not mature either. And it looks like such a stick in my yard. Um, and I, the other cherry tree is still there and it's beautiful. And, you know, right now cherry trees are blooming. So it looks gorgeous. And I look at this little puny tree and you know, the, the landscapers, like you need to water it three times a week and you, you know, we need to put fertilizer and you need to like, I mean, dogwoods are very drought resistant, all these things, but at first you have to like really like tend to it. And like my first instinct does, I don't want to tend for that thing that looks so puny in my yard. Like, you know, I just, I rather tend to the things that are already grown and mature. And um, I'm sitting there watering it last night because my sprinklers don't quite reach there. And I'm standing there in the cold for 10 minutes with the hose at it. And I'm like, this is so frustrating. I am shooting a hose at what looks like a dead twig. (laughs) it's a really good tree I'm sitting there with the hose I'm like it's why am I spraying water and spending my time on this thing that was a twig um and God really spoke to me in that of like I struggle with that like um and so I think about a, a woman who might be listening who's like thinking about starting a new business or a new ministry or a new side hustle in quotation marks or like whatever it is like she feels like God's calling her to x y and z and, um, and she has the same mentality as me of this go big or go home, but we all know, like, I know that if I tend to that tree and give it time, it's, eventually it's going to be beautiful. Um, and the fruit of it, if I take care of it and grow it slowly is going to be more beautiful than if I rush it along. So what do we, what do we do about that it, when yeah. we're like trying to decide to do something new? Well, I think you answered your own question. You tend to the stick in the yard. Yeah, you put you put in on our farm. We put seeds down into dark places. They're about the size of a pencil eraser, and it takes days and sometimes weeks to see growth. And even when growth happens, it's imperceptible. You can't see it hour by hour and day or day by day. Sometimes maybe week by week. And so over time, as what grows up grows up those roots are going down and down and down deeper and deeper. And I think that in life, we spend a lot of time examining the upward growth and Mm. seeing that's just a stick. And I wonder when that stick is going to, you know, leaf out or bear fruit. Um, But what if we spent more time considering what grows down deep 
And in, in, uh, on a farm, we call that sustainable agriculture. It's mm-hmm. taking the long view of agriculture because in sustainable agriculture, we're not so uh, worried about trying to beat a season. I and mean, we're letting God do the work here. And we're also caring about caring for the land so that it will serve generations after us. If we just do whatever we want to this land, mm-hmm. um, future generations of farmers and food producers won't be able to create something good out of this land. And if we would treat our own lives that way and see it as less about something that we're growing that benefits us personally. So for you, that stick that you're growing, you might not really get to see the beauty of it, but the person who buys your house and Mm -hmm. the one after that for the generations to come, it's a sustainable way of treating your very own yard for the benefit of somebody else that you don't even know yet. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. This, I think about our, our pastor uses a example a lot of, you know, we, we, we have two lives, you know, most of us have two lives. We have the life that's like the tree that's above the, above the ground or that picture that you see sometimes on social media of the iceberg. There's like the small part of the iceberg at the top. And then there's the really big part of the iceberg down below that nobody sees and that we live two different, um, these are two different lives essentially, um, you know, the, the roots of the bottom and then the, the tree at the top. And um, I tend to be a person and I think that there are different personalities, but I tend to be a person who likes to like maintain the, the, the part that's above, you know, the beautiful part, like how, how can I make the, the fun? let's keep it trim so that it has a pretty shape and all the parts that get seen, that's the part I want to tend to. And the parts that are underneath because they're not seen, I don't want to tend to them. So how do we tend for those, those roots? Like, how, how would you encourage us to like, and we know, we all know that the roots are important. I mean, I, I mean, you don't have to be a, a farm girl to know <laughs> that, that roots are important, but like, how can we make ourselves, I guess, or like try to convince ourselves that we need to work on that part underneath and how do we do that? I think again, it's just taking the long view of life and what, what do we think, what matters most, what will matter most to us in 10 years and 20 years? Mm-hmm. What will matter most um, when we're not here anymore? And people, when my name is on somebody's lips, what do I want people to remember most? And it's also, it's a more communal view of mm-hmm. growing because it's a way of saying, I care about my neighbor. I care about my future neighbor. I care for me as a mom. I care about my kids and my grandkids and the kind of fruit that they're growing, not on their report cards, but on their souls and the kind of people that they are growing up to be. And um, who I am is mostly not um, a book author. Who I am is mostly not like an Instagram person with some followers. Who I am is in the quiet places when nobody is watching. And that's why we have to put down good roots because if we're only tending to the pretty thing that people can see, out on social media or when we show up at church or on the bleachers or wherever, um, we're just going to go back to what feels like hurry and discontent and a lack of peace in our everyday lives where we have to live with ourselves and our hurts and our worries. I think that was exposed quite a bit for most of us during COVID um, because it created in us, enforced slowness. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we were forced into a growing slow life, which is, was very uncomfortable for many of us. And in that time of enforced slowness, when our calendars were completely whited out, um, we, we began to recognize what our coping mechanisms were. And um, for me, that was productivity and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to mm-hmm. do. Um, and so I think that we, when, we, when we grow slow, we, have, we get in touch with our essential selves, which can be a really uncomfortable place to be. But we also begin to pay attention to what matters most. Remember it, everybody, like we were all gathered around our tables. We lingered longer at the table. Um, we didn't have to rush off to a million different activities. So we were having game nights and doing whatever we could to bless the neighbor who was having a birthday party. And, hey, can I pick up some toilet paper for you? Or can I drop off baby formula? Um, here, let me help you and I'll get your groceries and I'll even wash them off for you. <laughs> <laughs> back in the day when we were washing our groceries, right? And so there was this sense of being there for one another. And as we get back into a sort of growing fast life, let's not forget the beautiful gifts that were hidden amongst the rubble of COVID. Well, and I mean, what you just described is tending the health of your soil, right? Because whatever, what our environment is, plays a massive factor in how we grow. And I think a lot of times, like, I don't know that we always pay attention to that. And that can be as simple as like, what does your home feel like? And like, what are, how are you keeping your home or how are you keeping whatever it is that you're involved in and your people? And I don't think we value that, but it's like that, it it affects us too immensely. And we need to, yeah. So it's like, none. I guess what you're saying or what I hear you saying is that like, none of this can be done selfishly because it all affects everything else. Like your growth can't be done just to grow you. And that's the beauty of it is like, we just, it all happens in community. That's right. You look out on a field of corn in July and you don't see a single plant. You see a mass of green with all the rows touching, all that green touching across the rows. And so that's a very, farming is very, you know, the, it, it is in itself communal, the field itself is communal. And I think that's how we are to be just all growing up together. And I think remembering too, that I think that as a people like me and Enneagram three, who probably could have written the growing fast book instead of growing slow is it's tempting for me to think about growing slow of these are the seeds that I'm planting in life. These are the, these are the fields that are important in my life. And they look like ministry and parenting and all of that. But what I sometimes forget, and I think a lot of us forget, is that we ourselves are fields, that Mm. God is planting seeds in us. What does he want to grow through us? What uh, character traits, what what humility does he want to grow in us and patience and kindness and generosity? And Mm. so let's allow ourselves to open this field of our heart up to God and let him plant good things in us. Yeah, that's such a good word because it's, you know, I think a lot of times when, at least when I think about personal growth or my gifts or, you know, whatever, I think about them for me. But mm-hmm. I think you're saying like, we're just, we're meant to be used for one another. We're meant to be helping each other not just self-actualizing. That's right. For each other. And also God's growing us because he likes to grow us. Like he didn't bring us to earth as full grown, mature adults that have it all figured out. 
for whatever reason, he decided to send us as babies and even Jesus Mm -hmm. himself as a baby. So what does that mean for us? I think that we need to be patient with ourselves as God grows us just as much as we need to be patient with the things that we are growing. That's really good. good. So what, I mean, how can we, this is all very, I love the abstract, but what are some practical ways we can maybe see that happen in our lives? One of the methods, and it's been a daily practice that I didn't even know was a practice, which is kind of funny, but it became a part of Growing Slow, and it's based on three R's, remember, reflect, and return. And so what I encourage people to do in the book and what I encourage people to do on Instagram all the time is apply this. I've done it, again, I've done it for years. And so when you remember, it's when you ask yourself daily or weekly, what wisdom did I take to heart this week? What is God teaching me? What do I want to apply in the future? Or what is something that I experience that I want to remember? And so you reflect. This is like a real slowing down practice to take time to just remember, reflect, and return. And so that remember might be a phrase. It might be something somebody texted you. It might be something that you read. It might be something that you heard on a podcast or uh, heard on in a sermon. And so you write it down or you snap a picture of it, or you look at a picture of it. And then next you reflect, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through that? What are you learning? And how are you growing slowly through understanding this act of remembrance? And then the third thing we do is we look forward and we return to the land that is our life. And when we return to the land that is our life, we take that remembrance principle and we apply it for the week ahead. Like, how can I make this real in my life in the week ahead? So a real simple way of doing this recently, um, I'll give you as, as an example. I was on my way to workout and I was lamenting the fact that I feel like I haven't made much progress in my workout. And I um, remembered that my coach told me slow progress is still progress. He's always telling me to stop hurrying and trying to get results overnight. Slow progress is still progress. So I I wrote that down in my mind. And then the next thing is I I reflected, like, what did that mean once I got to the workout center? I reflected on the truth of that, that slow progress is still progress in all areas of my life. And I counted them up. And then I returned to the land that is my life and just decided I am going to live this out in the land that is my life. I'm going to continue to show up and let slow progress be progress. And so um, we're doing that over on Instagram um, uh, quite a bit uh, lately. And some, some of the women are joining me in this act of remembering, reflecting and returning. And there's other things that you can do, like stop opening up your phone when you're in a target line and checking your email. It creates a hurried heart. And the reason oh, is yeah. there's nothing you can do about it in that moment. You can't answer that email from the target line. So just determine not to do that or waking up five minutes earlier, 10 minutes earlier to set the tone for the day, to welcome the day. What does that look like? And, you know, maybe it's staring out a window or getting a cup of coffee or reading the Bible or just remembering, reflecting and returning right away in the morning. And I had somebody tell me once, but Jennifer, that just sounds so boring, like stare out the window. And I just want to say to that person, how is that exciting life of hustle treating you right now? How is that treating you? Like getting up right away in the morning and just rushing to the first thing. So I say to a woman who says, that sounds boring. Just try it. 
See if mm-hmm. it sets the tone for your day. And I think it will. That's um, really I, good. I would just like to say you can answer an email from the target line because I've done it. Um, but it does, it's not a good email and it's probably not your best. And it's, or you've said something too quickly that's going to come across wrong. So you can technically hurry and do it, but it's probably not going to be your best. So it's probably not the best, um, best choice. <laughs> and don't we just do that really, if you get down to like the nitty gritty, aren't we doing that to feel important? I know I am. Like, I know that when I'm doing that stuff and I see people around me, I mean, especially now, like being a stay at home mom, um, I feel like I'm always checking in on those things to feel like I have a sense of importance or like someone needs me. And I, I think as I think about this moving forward, like reflecting, especially on COVID and all of the strange ways I found to make myself feel important and to feel like busy to feel hurried when there was like literally no good reason to hurry. And I invented reasons and made them happen. And like looking back on all that, I think for me, and I'm curious to hear what y'all say, but I, for me, it comes back to like, this is what makes me feel important and worthy. And if I'm not going to God for that, I'm going to go to like the synthetic things that make me feel that, which is checking my notifications. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think we do. And it just, it's in one of those coping mechanisms, right? It kind of numbs us out. And, you know, you've been talking a a number of times during our chat today about the communal aspect and Mm -hmm. neighboring well and that kind of thing. And so, Rebecca, um, you know, if if I like it's it reminds me that when I'm trying to, quote, feel important in line at Target to answer Mm -hmm. an email, I'm missing an opportunity to be a good neighbor and to neighbor well with the people in line in front or behind me or with the clerk who could use just a kind word. So often we go through those lines and we don't even really look people in the eye and ask, mm-hmm. how are you? And mm-hmm. I think that I think that fits in too. It gives us yeah. an opportunity to actually be a person in line at Target. Yeah, for sure. I have to remind myself often, Rebecca has to remind me as well because she's a good friend. I'm not a robot, I'm a human. Um, but I think I like to walk through my life thinking I am a robot and that like, I can just, I just need to churn out. Right. Like I, I, if I set my settings the right way, then I can just churn out like, and that's how I want to live my life and forgetting that like God created me as a human and humans have limitations and humans need other humans and humans need, you know, and we have to grow slowly. We're, we're like plants, you know, we have to grow slowly. We're not robots that are one, one minute, a bunch of pieces and then a full grown robot. Like that's not, that's not how God made us, but I have to constantly remind myself that. And when you were talking about your um, remembering, reflecting, returning, it made me think about, so Rebecca and I um, go to an Anglican church. So we're part of the Anglican tradition and we have what's called the prayer of examine. And it's kind of the same thing. Like it's, it's, it's an examination, whether it's daily or weekly or monthly or yearly, like to look and, and like, what, what, where have I, where was I growing and where was I languishing, you know, and where, where, what's God trying to teach me and what am I trying to remember? And what can I take with that and move forward. And I think it's such a good word. So we've all really been in a time of reflection over the last year. And like, but it's so easy. Like Rebecca and I have been talking about this on the podcast of, about how we're afraid to like start moving forward and it, what a waste it would be that we've had to live through this such terrible year, but also have learned such good things from it. God's taught us so much. Oh, how wasteful it would be to just like move on and forget all of it. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a constant like cycle of, of remembrance. So one other thing I want to talk about before we like, um, 
move on is I love that the book is structured about the seasons of the harvest. And kind of like we talked about at the beginning of the episode about how how that's how God has worked throughout scripture is is through these seasons. Um, and you pointed to Ecclesiastes as well for that. So can you talk to us a little bit about why um, ta- linking the seasons of the harvest to like our spiritual life is important? Yeah, so um, for whatever reason, God created a growing season to include four distinct parts. And there's spring planting and summer growth, autumn harvest, and then there's this period of winter when it looks like everything is dead, but it's at least a quarter of the year. And so we need to pay attention to that too. And we can talk about that in a minute. But um, I think that, um, you know, each season has its something to teach us. Um, Spring teaches us that things are still growing, even if they're down in the dark. And that if we trust that God will grow good things, he will. Even if we don't trust him to grow good things, he still does. That's just what he does. We put seeds in the ground and stuff pops up. And then um, during seasons of growth, you know, we've all been there where we've seen that green shoot coming up and rising high in our lives, like a milestone that was hit, that our child hit, or um, a way that we feel about our marriages or something that happened in our spiritual lives. It just feels really good and it feels so promising. But those seasons of growth can also be difficult when we look around and it feels like people are growing faster and better things than we are. Um, and that happens on a farm and that, that can happen in, in our lives too. And then comes harvest. And in harvest, uh, there's nothing quite like holding that ripened thing in your hand, whether it's a crop or an idea or an accomplishment, and we take a moment to celebrate that. And I think that a lot of us want to live in in just spring, summer, and harvest. Like we want to be plant, grow, harvest, plant, grow, harvest all the time. But for whatever reason, God created one-fourth of a growing season to be set in winter. And we can look out and think there's nothing growing here, that it's all dormant. But the fact is, underground where you cannot see are little microbes moving around, preparing the, snor- the, the soil for the next season. And um, Mother Nature has a way of unearthing rocks that are buried beneath. So you go out in the fields and there's rocks that we have to remove from the fields because they can damage the equipment. Well, all of that is happening in us as well. We all have to go through winter seasons, and that can be a hard word to hear because who wants to live through a winter season of the soul? But what if we began to embrace that particular season as well? If God created it into a growing season, perhaps we need it for us as well to recognize that we are still growing even in winter and that maybe we have stones buried deep within us that God needs to unearth and pick out of our souls so that our fields can be clean and open again for a new season. It says in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes that there's a time for everything, a season for every purpose under heaven. And there are kind of opposites that are listed after that. You know, there's a time for dancing. There's a time for mourning. There's a time for joy. There's a time for sorrow. I mean, you know, there's a time for gathering stones and there's a time for scattering stones. Like all of these things that seem diametrically opposed, but for whatever reason, there is a time for all of them. And God comes around to say, but you know what? I'm going to make everything beautiful in its time. So I think it's time for us to embrace seasons, not only outside and enjoy the beauty of each season, but it's time for us to embrace what God is doing through us in the seasons of our lives. 
And like, I think on some level, it comes back to rest, doesn't it? I mean, we, we can't physically be doing all the time. Like we need rest and we spend what a third of our lives asleep. I mean, I don't know, something to think about. (laughs) I really embraced winter this year in a way, because I, I normally would feel guilty and like, I need to still be like entertaining people and doing things. And of course that didn't happen. So I just was like, I'm going to full out winter. I'm going to like watch TV and like make stew and just like be in winter. And it was great. And now I feel like, okay, I'm ready for spring. Whereas like before it just felt like it was coming at me, you know? And like, so I think winter can be a real gift of rest too. Mm -hmm. And celebration. Yeah. I think oftentimes we don't take a breath or take a beat to celebrate what, what we experienced in the harvest. After harvest every year, when winter begins, we go and have a harvest festival. We go out for dinner and it's just been really fun to do with our family to celebrate and I think that's, I think that's important for us to do in all of our lives, to take some time to rest and to celebrate in winter. Yeah, for sure. So I'm assuming I'm not the only person that, that feels this way. So what would you say? So I think, I think on the past, like, I'm going to go through the last five to 10 years of my life. And I would say that a majority of it has been very much a winter compared to the rest of my life. Hopefully it's going to become spring and summer at some point, but, um, I think that there are probably other people out there that feel like, because I don't feel like I've cherished the winter as I should. I think I've more lamented and been like kind of woe is me about the winter. Um, so what, and so then I, we have this conversation and I'm like, oh, well, it's too late. Like I didn't really get a chance to really enjoy those different seasons. Um, or I, I've, I've hurried too much or haven't really attempted this growing flow. So what would you say to the person who feels like, it's too late to reset the pace of life. Like, you know, I've lived 41 years of my life like this. This is just how I'm going to live my life. It's just too late to do that. What would you say to me or to a listener that feels that way? Well, I mean, you could just go on and continue that exciting life of running around, or you could decide (laughs) that for the rest of my days, I am going to choose a different way. The choice is ours. This is a mindset shift and it, it is, it sits before us. There is nobody that's pushing us to achieve some certain level or a master a certain set of skills at this point. I think the bigger question, and that is an important one, is it too late? I think the bigger question is, is it too early? I think there's a lot of people in my life that are in their 20s and that I've, I've said to them, it'll come in time. You'll realize later that you can slow down. It's okay. I know I was the same way. It's, it's not too early to make this choice. So if you are listening and you're in your 20s or your teens or your 30s and you think, well, I'll just get that settled later in life. No, this, you can do it now. You can change the course of the way you embrace your days. You can give yourself permission to embrace the good things that God is already growing in your lives and choose to grow slow starting today. But it's, it takes courage. The easier way is to go the path that we've all been doing which is hustling, jumping out of bed, getting into, into that fight or flight response and just trudging forward and going big. Or we can decide this is the day I want to take a different path. Hmm. And, and they, they got, that also made me think like when we compare ourselves to the people around us, it, it, there, are, there are some circumstances where things do grow big quickly. That's not like, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, most of the time, the best things are grown through a slow process, but not always. Um, you know, we can look around us and there's certain people or, or 
programs or businesses or whatever that we're comparing ourselves to, they were like, they just started that thing and it's just like shot off, you know? And, and then we're back into the comparison trap again of, well, I'm really trying this growing slow thing. And I, I, I do know that if I grow slowly, that there will be fruit that, that's born out of that. And it will, it'll be good fruit. But then like we see that, that other thing that is growing fast, like how do we, I guess, alter ourselves through that? Like, what would you say? I would say you're that? not an American Idol star and you're not going to probably be an overnight success. If you are, <laughs> We are going to cheer you on and we will be so excited. But the reality is that's not most people's reality. Yeah. You can find examples of that. I've had different things that have just boomed and blossomed in my life that I never could have predicted. And some of those things have been sustainable and other things have not. But I think if we make our goal overnight success, we will always be in a state of dissatisfaction. If we make our goal slow growth and appreciate and celebrate the blessing of that random viral whatever or overnight success then yay us and we you know hopefully have some girlfriends along that are cheering us on when that happens yep that's good okay so when does growing slow come out anything you want to share to our listeners about um about when it comes out and pre-order, you know, gifts and that kind of stuff. Just let us know all the, all the goods. All right. I'm so excited. It's coming out May 11th and there's a Bible study. It's a six week Bible study companion and um, it's all under control. Bible study has just done really well. And um, if you've done that Bible study, this one is formatted exactly in that same way. Um, And so both of those come out May 11th. You can find out more at growingslowbook.com. And I do have some really cool pre-order incentives. I have a growth tracker and growing slow journal that's available free for download. And it has this whole remember, reflect, return uh, piece embedded into it. And then you could track your monthly growth and see what's growing, what's not. And also I have seven free videos. I spent a year filming these here on the farm. They go through all of the seasons And they're a visual representation of the lessons we're learning. And so I have lots of really cool lessons from the land in those videos for you. And they're available as pre-order incentive as well. Awesome. That's really cool. I'm like, I have a copy, but I might need to do a pre-order copy. (laughs) Videos. And Rebecca, you want to ask her our question? We ask all of our interviews, unless you have something else. Did you have something else you wanted to say? I did not. I, um, okay. Um, well, my question is what would be your last meal on earth? If you knew I could plan, right. Really. If I could plan for it. Um, so this is so funny because just literally two nights ago, I said to Anna, I'm changing my last meal because I had the, (laughs) I, I like, we talk about this all the time in our family, last meal, last meal. And if something is really good, that's what we, you know, like, Oh, new last meal. And so I had a new last meal. Scott made the absolute best ribeye I think I've ever had on our charcoal grill. And maybe it just tasted so good because we haven't been able to grill all winter long. And yeah. then spring has come and we had our first grilling season. But man, it was perfection. Ordinarily, though, my last meal would be my grandma's noodles put on top of mashed potatoes. This is the way we did them at Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was the ultimate carb fest noodles on top of potatoes and it sounds really weird but it's seriously the best what does she do to the noodles what like 
she rolled them out and then um, like they went into like a chicken broth and she boiled them in there. I don't know. My sister can make them. That sounds delicious. I, um, I mean, yeah, carbs on carbs. And that was, that was so fun. And um, as you, as you notice at the end of the audio, we get caught off at the very end. <laughs> um, oh yeah. But, so but we didn't, um, the only thing you missed um, from the end of our conversation was just a thank you to Jennifer for being on and um, for um, talking to us about growing slow and what it's like to live the farm life and how that's a metaphor for our spiritual life. Um, but she um, was not feeling well and she made it all the way through the interview till the very end and had a coughing fit. So it kind of <laughs> messed up our audio at the end, but we're grateful um, she was on. And I hope that um, you guys will um, go check out her new book and her videos that um, if you pre-ordered the book, she says this, but I'm just going to say it again. I'm going to reiterate it because I'm excited about it. But um, if you pre-order the book before it comes out, you also get all the videos and all the videos are shot on her farm. So um, that's super fun. So we'll yes. link to all of that, obviously. So anyways, what else are you thinking about with spring and what do you want to share about you know, what you're um, learning and what resources you're using. So the garden's enough for me. That is my resource. Um, <laughs> I'm learning how to take care of it and weed it and keep squirrels out, which is like a whole other thing. They, they dug yeah. up my, I, I planted dahlia bulbs, like the flower and they mm-hmm. dug one of them up. And I was like, why, why do you want that squirrel? Like what, what do you want in a flower? A nuisance. I hate squirrels. Oh my gosh. So anyway, we, um, we did it in stages. So we got everything in the ground, except we're growing cantaloupes because we have this cool like slope in our yard, um, mm-hmm. but they need sandy soil apparently. So I have to like dig up a bunch of dirt in our yard. So I started them in a pot and I have to transfer them. We have to build a fence still, but so there's all these different stages and every stage I'm like, why am I doing this? But I feel like I need to do it. So okay. um, the garden is keeping me a little busy with that. And then um, yeah, I was just thinking about different foods people can make if they want to like, you know, practice low and slow. I mean, the first mm-hmm. thing that comes to mind is if you have a smoker and then you don't need to t- me to tell you how to use it because that whole thing is like waking up at five in the morning and putting it on and checking on it and like the whole thing. So smoking meats is like a great way to do that. But another one I was thinking of was risotto, um, mm-hmm. because there's like lots of, uh, and if anyone doesn't know what risotto is, it's an Italian, Northern Italian rice dish. That's, um, a very short fat grain of rice called arborio rice and it's super starchy and what happens is as you cook it the more you stir it like pretty much constantly and the stirring is what releases the starch and makes it creamy and so and it's just delicious but I mean it takes like half an hour maybe longer to make it it's a process yeah it's a process and like you have to pretty much stand there and stir it the whole time and um you know there's all there's like recipes for like no stir risotto and quick risotto and those are fine but like it's not good But I was thinking that was one of the first thing like I taught um, my kids how to make that like a few months ago because I was like, this is a really easy thing for them to make because the heat's low. Kids love to feel like they're doing something. They love to stir. And I was like, well, yeah, you great. can stir that all day. You know, like, how about it? I don't want to stand there and stir it. It's but like making candy, you know, like, yes, you know, like fudge or something. You have to constantly yes. be stirring it. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, thank you to all the lovely little places in Helen that make fudge so I don't have to. But um, <laughs> 
but so risotto is a good one. And I was thinking of it too, because it, it's so delicious with spring vegetables. Like you can throw pretty much anything in there, like asparagus or, you know, young peas and stuff like that are so good in it. So my idea was have your kids, or if you have children, or if you don't, this is a good thing for yourself. Stir the risotto. I mean, and I don't, it's kind of one of those things like you don't need a recipe. The recipes are everywhere. It, it's pretty, it's like a standard ratio recipe where you saute like garlic and um, shallots and butter. I think it's, I do butter. Um, and then you add the rice and you like kind of toast it and you add white wine and you let that evaporate and then you start adding stock incrementally. So you can find a recipe for that, but there isn't like an exact recipe. But um, what I like to do is like do all that, make the risotto, add like peas or asparagus or whatever, and then kind of like do a divot like you would for like mashed potatoes and gravy and then get some like lump crab meat and toss it in some melted butter and just like warm it through and put it in the little hole. Oh my goodness. It's so good. With like some fresh chives need on top. You to make me some of that. That's not that be good. A <laughs> sprinkling of chives. So good. So that's a really nice little spring dish. And um, it's just a good way to, because again, it's like, if you just boiled the rice slowly, I've never done that, but I would imagine that it would just get gluey and weird and gross. Yeah. So it's like the slow stirring that pulls starch out and then like great risotto. Like a lot of people add cream, but if you do it right, you shouldn't need cream because it should be like creamy enough, you know, just from the starch. So I think that's a really fun recipe to make. I mean, yeah, that was the, that was the thing I thought of. Well, it's funny. I just learned something new and my family's what? from, well, part of my, part of my family is from Northern Italy and we made risotto all the time and I never realized that's what made it creamy. <laughs> Like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just a, it's just a process. I knew, I know that's why I hardly ever make risotto because I am one of those type of people that doesn't like to make dishes that I have to like monitor. Um, because I like, do it. that's a great idea. I really should. So, um, but like I grew up stirring risotto, like because yeah. my, my grandmother and my mom didn't want to stir the risotto. So guess who they yeah. did, who did it? <laughs> Me. And so, but I just never realized that's what caused it to be creamy. But now I'm thinking about it. My grandmother never really added cream to her risotto. Now I know some restaurants do that and then they add cream to the risotto and it makes it taste creamier, but I never realized that that's what made risotto creamy was the, the slow releasing of the starch. So fun fact, learn something new today. So yeah, I, um, so for me, a couple of things um, I'm, because my life is slow right now, it's forcing me to be slow you know, the kids are in school every day and, um, and I, I don't have a job and, um, well, I don't have a paying job that expects me to get things done every day. I have a job. I'm a mom, you know what I mean? Um, but I, so I've, um, the, the slowing down has made me read more, which I actually love to do. Um, and, and, uh, at times in my life, I haven't had time to do it. So I am grateful for that. So most of my, practical resources are reading related. So if you don't have time for that, I'm sorry, get an audiobook subscription and stick it in your ears while you're <laughs> doing other stuff. But um, obviously we'll, we're going to link to growing slow because I, it's obviously a fantastic resource for this, but um, it's also, we're also in the middle of the 50 day Easter season. Um, and so I've been trying to read books on the resurrection and like what that means, like for us practically, like what does it mean mm-hmm. to be Easter? Like Chris says, our pastor says we're supposed to be Easter people. Um, like what does it mean to be Easter people? Like so much of evangelical Christianity focuses on the cross, and obviously the cross mm-hmm. is important. Without the cross, we wouldn't, you know, have salvation. So it obviously 
the the cross is important, but like the resurrection of the empty tomb is actually um, a, a symbol of what our how we should live out the cross, right? And so I've been reading. Um, I mean, my favorite book on the resurrection is "Surprised by Hope" by N.T. Wright. But honestly, y'all, I you will hate me if you pick it up, <laughs> unless you like heady, thick theological books it's not for you. Like I am Is his gonna... writing like his podcast because I listen to his podcast and I feel like he just talks and I'm like, what was your answer? And I have to like re- rewind. I'm like, wait, what yes. is, did he answer so, the question? So yes, it like so it, it's applauding. Um, uh-huh. I will say surprised by hope is one of my top five books of all time. It has changed. It changed me as a person and as a theologian. So I am not discrediting N.T. Wright's work. Um, I think he's amazing. It's not for the everyday person. So I say all of that to say, and I said this in the last one, but I hadn't read it yet. Now I've read it or I'm almost all the way through it. Um, that Hope in Times of Fear, The Meaning of Easter and the Resurrection by Tim Keller. So he takes, I mean, I think he mentions NT in the first or in the introduction or something that NT's work also changed him and that he takes that theological body of work and, 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 does it in a Tim Keller way. Yeah, he's just so practical. Um, Mm -hmm. And he applies, I mean, the first part of the book is on the resurrection, the theology of the resurrection, but it's in a much more palatable way. Um, But the second half of the book is like, how do we live out of that? So I think it is a must read. It should be in every Christian's library. I think it's probably the pinnacle of Keller's work. Um, And which, you know, I, I mean, I, it can make me cry, but we don't know how much longer he's going to be alive. And so yeah. he's, he's battling a metastatic pancreatic cancer right now. And so I think, um, I think this is going to, that's kind of the pinnacle of his theological work. So I highly recommend it. Um, hope it comes up here. It's awesome. Um, and also he, he wrote it during his chemo and during a pandemic and during, um, the political season we just went through. So he touches on like how the resurrection, um, meets us in each one of the, in like those areas. So it's really good. And then my last um, book resource I have is I'm reading um, the new Kristen Hanna book. So um, she's, you know, Nightingale, which won a gajillion awards. And then The Grey Alone, which is one of the best books, novels I've ever read. But her new one is called The Four Winds. And it and it's interesting that I'm reading, I didn't mean to read it right now when we're talking about growing slow and farming and stuff, yeah. but it's about, it's about um, the hardships of the farmers in the Great Plains during um, the Great Depression and during the drought and the dust bowl. Um, and it's just so good about um, them relearning how to conserve the land and how to, and it's a lot about, and there's also like family um, drama too, which is, are my favorite kind of books. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, how, how a family's lineage like plays out. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, but also it's about living off the land and loving the land. And, and when, when all of this stuff happens, like how do we relearn to love the land because they had been mm-hmm. greedy and the greediness of the, of the farmers and the people in Texas and Oklahoma, because, you know, for so long there in like the twenties, the, the teens in the twenties, it was like a, it was like a boom economy for the farmers. Yeah. Um, and so they have to relearn how to conserve the land so that this doesn't happen again. Um, and so it's fascinating because I just, I grew up in Texas 
And my husband's from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But you know, just there's things that get skipped over in your American history classes. And I feel like they do a really good job of teaching us about the American Revolution. They do a good job of teaching about the Civil War. And then as you approach into the 20th century, you, you get World War I and World War II and you kind of learn about the Great Depression. But like, you just don't really, I don't, I don't, I remember skimming over the Dust Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. But like, what did that like really mean, you know? And so, and the plight of the farmers and, and, and why um, Southern Oklahoma and Northern Texas is still um, pretty economically sad. And it's all as a result of all of this. So, um, and then it mixed in with everybody left and went to California because that was like the thing to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was to go West because that's where the jobs were with the railroad and all of that. So it's just really good. I'm, I'm like, yeah, and- over it because it's a really good book. So. If that like interests you, we also did some really good episodes um, really early in the podcast, but I still think they're some of the best episodes we did with Will Harris, who is a farmer at um, White yeah. Pastures down in South Georgia and their episode mm-hmm. 16 and 17, I think. But mm-hmm. um, he just, yeah, those he, are great. we just talked to him about what does it mean to have regenerative agriculture and how can we, you know, why does it matter? And why does like when mom goes to the store to buy ground beef or spaghetti, like why does it matter what kind we buy? And like, mm-hmm. so it was just a great conversation with him. And I, I learned so much, um, two, com- two episodes. It was very rich and wonderful. So that's a good resource. Um, what's the other thing I was going to say as you were speaking? Never mind, It went away. Um, but those books sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to read that Tim Keller one, especially because yeah. I love well, I'm almost done with it. So you you can't keep my copy, but you can borrow my copy. I should probably but, buy my own, I think. Yeah. I want to keep it. <laughs> it's um, one of those books, like the four wins, like, you know, novels I read and then I pass on um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The library, or I get from the library. But like, there are certain like nonfiction books and theology books that like I want to sit in my library. Yeah, yeah I was, it was funny. I, I emailed Chris, our pastor, because he, I, he mentioned Surprise My Hope um, on Easter and about reading that during the Easter season. I read him and I was like, I love Surprise My Hope, but here's my opinion. And then mm-hmm. here's how I feel about Tim Keller's book. And I think we should add it to the church library. So, yeah, um, you know, because I just, I think it's one of those works. So that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, I think that's all I have. We're going to try to slow down because yeah. we know that that's how we go, right? Yep. Yep. And that was <laughs> a little poem. You're a poet and didn't know it. Grow <laughs> <laughs> slow, know, all the things. Close slow, you know? I, I just keep thinking the more you know, those of us that oh, grew yeah. in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> Funny. Uh, well, this is a good one. Happy April. Um, happy April. And honestly, like, you don't have to plant a garden. Like, go get a pot of basil at your grocery store. Like, right now, all the grocery stores have little living herb pot. Like, just, like, buy, like, one herb that you like. Put it in a pot in your windowsill that gets some sun. Google, how do I take care of this herb? And just start there, you know? And it's just, even that is so rewarding and exciting. Yeah, that's what I did. So, I'm... I'm not a gardener, but I do like to have some things. And so this week I planted three herbs um, in pots on my back porch and then some flowers. And then I had my baby dogwood tree, which I talk about in our, in our interview with um, Jennifer Deepsley that I'm trying to, to get, to get growing. And so I don't have a big garden, but I do have things that are, are teaching me um, how to tend to um, slowly. So, and I, and I think that's, 
kind of what I want to learn this season is like tending to things. Like, what does it mean to tend to things? Yeah. Um, not just, you know, my basil plant, but like, what does it mean to tend to my life and my spirituality and to my and walk and, to, and my people, like the people. And like, that's, you know, this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Like, even if my people in quotation marks, isn't 10,000 people, even if my people is just my family and a few neighbors and some friends and my parents or whatever, like that's still a sizable, important garden um, to tend. So, um, being like that, overlooking that and not looking past yeah. that is something I really want to work on this season. So, for sure, all of us need to do that. Yeah. It's not always sexy. Nope. <laughs> all right i hope you guys okay. have a good day yeah and it's raining which means my garden is very happy i know mine too i'm so excited i was just telling david because my brain is on dust because i'm reading this whole book on the dust yeah. hole and how the earth was like cracking and like dust was just everywhere and people were dying from like dust pneumonia like it's terrible um kind of a dark read too but um but like and it got, it, I mean, my yard was getting real dusty, which is not good for April. And so this rain was much needed. So I'm thankful for it. So, yes. Same. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Well, have we'll a see good next month, month and we will see you back in May. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye.